The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Jonah, Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, and we'll pick off where uh, Pastor Daniel left last week. And really what we uh, had picked up, I think he reminded you last week, where we started so many months ago in this great book. Um, And then in the midst of COVID and everything else, we felt led to uh, pivot um, and really take a long look at the Psalms. And man, they were so great. They were cathartic. They were healing. They were medicine. I don't know about for you, but for my soul. Um, But I love the story of Jonah, and it uh, gets us ready. Uh, Next week, I don't know if Daniel mentioned, but we started a brand new series looking at the life of Joshua, the story that we find in the book of Joshua. The the theme of the series is walking in the promises of God. Uh, That famous verse, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, God says, I have given that to you. And God has given us so many promises. And listen, he, he invites us and expects us to, by faith, to walk in, to claim, and to believe him at his word. Amen? So Jonah chapter 4, a couple of things uh, for the weekend announcements coming up. Number one, uh, September 19th, we're going to have our Feast of Trumpets, one of the biggest celebrations that we have of the year. It is going to be awesome. And so what we're going to do actually is not meet here. We're actually going to meet in the East parking lot. We're going to bring in a stage and speakers. We want as many people to come and be socially distanced. It's going to be a a bring your own chair event. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have some more things to let you know about soon, but it's going to be just a phenomenal time to celebrate the Lord, to, uh, with full of expectation, look for his soon return. That's what we believe that feast talks about. So September 19th, mark your calendar, Saturday night, 7 p.m., and also, if you have never taken Growth Track, I want to encourage you to do so. We are kicking back off uh, this weekend in uh, Lesson 1, Step 1. So if you've never joined, I would encourage you to do so. Well, Jonah chapter 4, pick up with me in verse 1. We read this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country. This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful, a God, gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. And there he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. Again, he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant. You have compassion for the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Well, Father, we thank you so much for this night. We thank you, Lord, 
for the peculiar and yet I think very poignant message of Jonah, Jonah chapter four. <laughs> poignant and Jonah. So we just thank you, Lord. Slamming words together tonight. Lord, you're just going to be glorified, I know, tonight. You're going to speak to us. May we hear what you're saying in Jesus' name. Amen. It's going to be one of those nights, I think. It's going to be fun. <laughs> there we go, yeah. Um, we're all family, right? So we get to have fun. So anyway. I, you know, Jonah chapter four is really one of, I think, the weirdest chapters in the Bible. It's a lot weirder to me than Jonah chapter two. A lot of people would say that's a weird chapter. Jonah chapter two, the story where God creates a great fish and Jonah is sustained for three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. A lot of people say, that's weird. I don't know if I can believe that. It's a lot weirder than I think when Joshua says, sun, stand still. And for 24 hours, the sun literally stands still at the command of Joshua and the response of faith. God says, okay. There's a lot of things in the Bible that people find weird, but I find Jonah chapter four, one of the weirdest chapters only because of how it ends. Because after the events of chapter one, chapter two, and three, we would never expect to read a chapter four. After all that Jonah has been through, I mean, he's been through a lot. If you know the story of Jonah, you realize, man, I don't think anybody has gone through as much as he has gone through, experienced the power and provision of God. How could this guy end up here in chapter four? After such great heights where he preaches and one of the greatest revivals in human history takes place, how is it that in chapter four, we see literally one of the, a, a total collapse of the man of God? So much so that he's asking several times, God, take my life. I find it weird because it just, in one sense, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit the narratives that we like to read about. So often there's these great hero arcs where it starts in the beginning like Jonah. Somebody's reluctant and runs, yet there's this redemption and he fulfills his call. I mean, these are great stories. These are the kind of movies that we pay good money to go see. We, we like stories that have a happy ending. We want the bad guy to be defeated. We want Thanos to be dead, Captain America to live, everybody to come back to life. That's what we go to see, everything nice and wrapped up at the end. We don't like indie films that just kind of end and you're like, what was that? Amen. You're, yeah, amen, exactly. You're like, you're watching this. You're like, I don't know what I'm watching. Is this some of those European art films? I don't know. I just kind of leave depressed and I spent money on that. You know, Jonah chapter four kind of feels like that. It's like the end of Inception, the, the, the spinning top, it just keeps going and you're like, what happened? Is it this? Is it that? We're, we're kind of left with this lingering, what happens at the end? There's just simply a question that we're left to ponder. It's so weird that as I was doing a lot of studying and researching for this, I found that a lot of people preached on Jonah 1, 2, and 3, the God of the second chance, but there were very few messages on Jonah chapter 4. A lot of people just decided to skip it for whatever reason. But I'm glad God doesn't skip it. I'm glad we are not going to skip it. In fact, the more I read and think about chapter four, I think really in so many ways, it's the heart of what this whole thing's about. There's so much that we see into the life of Jonah. But more than that, we see into our own life. And more than that, ultimately, we see into the heart of God. Jonah had gone literally into the heart of the belly of, their, of the great fish. But here in chapter four, God takes him on a journey, takes us on a journey into his very own heart. He exposes Jonah's heart. In so doing, he exposes our heart. But more than that, we see how good and how great and how wise God truly is. And so tonight, chapter four, we see Jonah into the heart of God. We'll pick up with me. We'll see the first part, Jonah's heart. And just kind of as a recap of what happened uh, last week in chapter three, this amazing chapter. 
God choosing once again to come to Jonah, to use him a second time, and Jonah saying, okay, God, I, I surrender, I submit. Yes, I gladly will go and preach. Now, I don't think Jonah actually preached with a lot of enthusiasm, as we'll see here in chapter four. Oh, he did it. I tend to believe it was probably one of the lamest messages ever, at least humanly speaking. It was a very short, you know, very few words, you know, spoken. Basically, it was like, repent or you're going to die. There wasn't a lot of love. There wasn't a lot of grace. There wasn't a lot of mercy. I think he just simply said what he needed to say and left. And yet God supernaturally does something absolutely powerful. A whole nation repents. A whole nation hears the message from this prophet and says, maybe God will be gracious. Maybe God will be merciful. At the end of chapter three, it says they turn from their ways. And the very last verse, God says he looks down and he relents. He, he pauses. He gives them a reprieve from the judgment that was about to befall them. Now, we know according to history, again, they turn to their evil ways and eventually judgment sadly does come. But for a time and for a generation, there's a people that experience the mercy of God. These pagans who say, I don't know God originally, but come to a place where they believe in the one true God and humble themselves. And a lot of people have a tough time believing that. We have no time believing in stories of mass violence, of civil unrest. We look at, we turn on our news. We, we can believe that, but a miracle like this, a lot of people have a tough time believing. But listen, let it be a reminder to us of the power of the Spirit of God taking the Word of God and can go into any situation. There was no darker situation than, than existed in Assyria in the capital of Nineveh. And even the worst, you know, message in a sense preached by Jonah. I don't, again, I don't think there's a lot of heart involved as we see here in chapter four, but he was faithful to deliver the word of God, the message of God. And God took that and he convicted, uh, convicted a whole nation, a whole group of people and revival fell upon that land. But what we find here in chapter four, verse one, it's just weird. Again, we have to put ourselves in this situation one of the greatest revivals, one of the greatest miracles has ever taken place. And it says, verse one, and Jonah was thrilled. The revival campaign was amazing. And he was tweeting it to everybody. You can't believe what God did. No, that's what we would expect to see, right? There would be stories and testimonies of how good God was. I mean, if any of us were involved in a revival like this, what we pray and long for, we would be ecstatic. But it says, this thing displeased Jonah exceedingly. In fact, that word displeased him. It says the word, uh, it, um, he was angry. That word exceedingly uh, displeased him in the Hebrews. Literally, he found this evil. Jonah literally found what God did evil. He was so distraught, so angry that what God chose to do, Jonah judged within his heart, God, what you did is evil. This is wrong. He is ticked. He is ranting. And we look at it, what in the world? This is Jonah, the prophet of God, the man of God. Like I said, it's weird. This is the man that God has chosen to use. And what we see, man, what in the world? How and why could God ever use somebody like this? That this is actually in his heart. This is how he would respond. And not just this time, we've seen it over and over. He ran from God. He gave, I said, like I think, one of the worst sermons. And now he sits in judgment of God. We go, man. We continue to read on and we actually have some questions answered for us that we were pondering probably back in chapter one. Because back in chapter one, when Jonah ran from God, we, we wonder why. And it's easy for us to be a bit sympathetic when we think about how wicked the Assyrians were. 
And we talked about this many months ago. And if you studied the uh, book of Jonah or know anything about the ancient Assyrians, they were like ISIS squared. We've heard about the atrocities of ISIS just a, a year or two ago. The things that they committed against their fellow man were just unspeakable. Assyria took that to another level. History tells us they were one of the most vile, wicked, and cruel people that ever walked this earth. They invented impalement. They, they invented crucifixion. They were known for skinning people up. There's all these things that we say, okay, Jonah, I get why you wouldn't want to go preach there. I can understand you don't want to be skinned alive and end up as, you know, the uh, furniture in somebody's household, you know? I can understand that. I can be a bit sympathetic. You were scared for your life, and so you would rather run than actually face that. I can understand, like, Jonah, you're, you're not like a Jewish person during World War II who'd want to go to Berlin and preach. Okay, I get that. But that's really not what was motivating Jonah. What we read here, again, shocks us even more. Verse 2, he prayed. And listen, that's the only thing Jonah does good in this chapter. He prayed. And that's why I think ultimately it will end well, because in the middle of all this, at least Jonah prayed. Now, it's kind of just talking and ranting, but the Bible tells us he prayed. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee. Basically, this is why I took off to Tarshish. This is why I ran. This is why I chose to disobey and run the other way. Not because I was scared that I might lose my life. No, he was scared that God would be God. He says, I knew that you were a gracious God. I knew you were merciful. I knew you would be so nice and so kind. I knew you were slow to anger. I knew you were abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I knew you would do this. I mean, listen to him. It's hard for us to, if we really think about what's being said, that this would be the man of God. I mean, could you imagine Billy Graham saying something like this? After a great crusade, if he was alive, you know, 100,000 people show up, thousands give their life, and he's mad. God, I knew you would do this, God. You forgave all those dirty, rotten sinners. We would look at him like, are you mental? Like, somebody check him. Is he okay? And yet that's exactly what Jonah's doing. Jonah is mad at God for being God. For God being true to his nature. God, I, I knew you would go and forgive these people. You don't understand how bad they were. I knew you would just be too kind, too merciful, too gracious. And in Jonah's mind and in, in his understanding of the way things should be, there was nothing but judgment that should have come upon those people. He had, in his mind, he had already been judged, jury, and execution, and there was nothing that could ever redeem them. The only thing they were fit for was judgment and ultimately hell. And God is merciful because they repent, because they ask for mercy, because they seek after the compassion and the grace and goodness of God, and God shows it. Amen. Jonah can't get over this, and he's angry. And we see his real problem is a bit theological. Theological in the sense he thinks he understands Scripture, he thinks he understands God, but not really. And how do we know that? Because we can hear it in his voice. We can see it in his actions. We can see it at the deepest levels of his heart because it's being exposed. You know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Jonah is speaking, and what he's speaking is revealing what is actually inside of his heart, and what's in his heart is ugly. It's a heart that's full of hatred. It's a heart that's full of prejudice. It's a heart that is full of judgment. It's a heart that shows no kindness or compassion to people he thinks are unworthy of it. Gracious and merciful for me, for my people, yes. For the Ninevites, no way. For us, yes. For them, no way. Now, let's dig a little bit deeper here and kind of analyze a little bit and dig 
into the heart of Jonah and see what's going on. Because he's mad at God for forgiving. He says in verse three, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. He's suicidal, but listen, let me say this. Jonah knows like Elijah knew, like Moses knew and others, that were, they were at this point, they also knew it was never theirs to take. That's right. Listen to me now. He felt like dying, but he knew it was not his life to take. He says, God, you can take it, but it's not my right to take my life. But that's where he's at. He's praying literally that God would take his life. We can see he's hit rock bottom. He's exposed. Now, by, by giving us this explanation, by listening in on this, we, we actually see a little bit about what's going on in his life and what Jonah really valued. Because what it's exposing is that God wasn't the ultimate thing in his life. Because if the thing that you care about most in life is taken from you, that's where you end up. When a person is suicidal, it's because whatever they have valued the most, whether it's a person or a thing, whatever that might be, when that thing that you're living for is gone or it's taken from you, you get to the point of Jonah. And so for Jonah, we can see that that thing wasn't God, that someone wasn't God. It was actually something else. Because something else was more important to God. That's why he's at this place. And so for Jonah, what was it? I believe what was more important than Jonah, I, I do believe he knew God, loved God even. But for Jonah as a prophet, I think his, his national pride was more important. He was a Jewish prophet. We know from uh, uh, the book of 2 Kings 14, he actually had a pretty good position in the courts of the king. Jonah was the one who would prophesy, and a lot of times he prophesied actually good for the people of Israel. He was actually popular. He, he had a populist message. He loved his nation. Again, nothing bad with that until it gets to a place that you respond like Jonah. He had this national pride that really became an inordinate love. He loved Israel so much that he hated everybody else. Everyone else was a threat to them. Didn't matter what God thought. It became literally a, a, an idol to him. His nation above all the nations, though he should have pride in one sense, there's nothing wrong with that. But if he's resentful and angry at a, a people who are spiritually lost and bankrupt, God's showing compassion on them, something has seriously gone wrong. In our desire and prayers for our nation to be great, we have to remember that on one hand, there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually a good thing. God has created the nations and tribes and all these things, and we should go, yes, and pray. But it can very quickly, if we're not careful, become an idolatrous thing. When you read about Germany during World War II, I never, I'll never forget. There's a book called Hitler's Cross, and it was written by a pastor named Erwin Lutzer, president of Moody Bible Institute at one point. And one of the things that struck me as he writes the book was, how did the Christian church go along a lot with what Hitler was doing? And I could never understand that. But one of the things that he talked about in that was that they were, quote, listen, German Christians. They weren't simply Christians who loved God and then loved their country. No, they put the German first that the country and the fatherland of Germany became preeminent. And so we are German Christians. And so they, they took what should have been a good thing and made it an idolatrous thing. And so that somehow Germany was better than all of the rest. And I say that just so that as Americans, we can be proud, we can be thankful, we should pray, we should be humbled. We are so thankful to live here, but we always need to be a bit careful that it never becomes an idol like it had in the life of Jonah. There's a rightful, I would even say racial pride in the sense that listen to me, like, hey, I'm an Irish person. I love Irish culture. My grandmother was born in Scotland. I love to say, there can be a, a good thing that you appreciate about that. 
but it can very quickly become a, a racist, sinful thing when yours is better, yours is good, and theirs is bad. When it's you against something else. Listen, the Bible says at the end, every tribe, tongue, and nation. God has created the tribes. He enjoys the tribes. The distinctness, those are wonderful things. But the moment yours is somehow better, we are in trouble. And look, it doesn't take much to look around to see how many people have turned certain things that can be good into very horrible, evil, wrong things. National pride can become imperialism and on and on. When identity is not rooted in the gospel and in grace, but it's rooted in your race and your nationality and all these things, I think that's really what was going on in the life of Jonah. He might be angry here because he's afraid he's going to feel like a fool. He preached a message of judgment. And everybody's going to say, look, nothing happened. You didn't really hear from God. And on we could go. But whatever it was, it was obvious that Jonah's at this place of utter despair because there was something, someone more important than God. And he was ready to throw God away. I mean, that's what he's doing. He's ready to throw God away because he doesn't have this thing. And in his anger, this ranting back and forth, that God, this ranting towards God, God doesn't rant back towards him, Jonah misuses the Bible. He quotes partially, correctly, but part of it from Exodus 34. He says, God, I knew you were like this. And that great scene in Exodus 33 and 34 when Moses says, God, I want to see your glory. And God says, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. And God takes Moses and he puts him in a rock. And you know the story, puts his hand over and he passes by. But what does God do? And God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. God proclaims his name. And that's what Jonah is quoting the Lord, compassionate, gracious, steadfast, forgiving. Jonah quotes that part of Exodus 34. God, I knew you were like this. But God also goes on in that same passage to say, I will not forgive those either. It's a kind of a, an interesting mix that God says, I am the God who forgives who won't forgive. Now we'll kind of resolve that and talk about that in a little bit. But Jonah forgets that part. He, he only focuses on the one and then he uses that kind of in a sense to justify his anger. He's, listen, he's using the word of God to somehow justify himself. And if you're using the word of God to justify yourself like that, you're, you're reading it wrong. <laughs> I'll just tell you, if somehow you're, you're reading the word of God to, to somehow make somebody else feel bad and to make yourself feel better, you're not reading it right. <laughs> if it's apart from reading about how we are justified, righteous in Christ. Now, if we read that, then we're reading it right. But if we read the Bible right, we realize apart from God, I am not righteous. I have nothing with which I can justify myself. And yet that's what Jonah's trying to do. He's trying to make himself feel righteous, justify himself back to God, reading the word of God wrong, twisting it, giving it in part. Who else does that in scripture? Who else reads it in part but doesn't finish the rest of the sentence? Satan, absolutely. And we can see he was influencing Jonah here as he takes the word of God but doesn't really understand the word of God and only really speaks part of the word of God but not all of it. Something is seriously off. Jonah's heart is being exposed. It's being exposed as a bigoted, judgmental, callous, self-righteous, and unforgiving man. This was the man of God. This was the prophet of God. I don't know about you, but when I really stop and think about that, I'm absolutely, on one hand, dumbfounded. Jonah, and here's the thing. Jonah doesn't see at this point what we are all able to see, right? I mean, we look at this and it's like, dude, what is the matter with you? I mean, it's really easy, right? Listen, it's really easy for us to see all of the blind spots in the heart and life of Jonah. I mean, 
Jonah, do you listen to yourself? Like, here, let me record you and play it back to you. Because if you could actually hear yourself talk, you'd be ashamed of yourself. Jonah, there's so many blind spots. I mean, look, there's just hatred and things just spewing out of you. And yet at this point, Jonah doesn't see it. But God's not finished. God's not finished with Jonah. And he's not finished with us yet in this text. So we see Jonah's heart, and we'll kind of see a little bit more of that, but let's look at God's heart. Let's look at God's heart. And the first thing I want to say here is put an application point is God cares just as much about the man or woman as he does the mission. Because God cares about the mission. He cared about Nineveh. He cared about the message. But through this whole thing, God cares about Jonah. Because he could have let Jonah just jump overboard, drown, and find somebody else. But this whole time we see, no, God cares about Jonah. He cares about you. He's got a plan and a purpose. There's a mission that he wants you to be a part of. But ultimately, don't forget, he cares about you. He cares about Jonah. And at the end of this, you might think, man, after all that God's done, I would be like, bing. I mean, I would be done with this guy. I mean, wouldn't you? You'd be like, are you? I'd roll my eyes and be like, dude, you've had your chance. <laughs> I, I created a fish. I mean, all these, and now, really? No, that's not what God does. So God's going to ask Jonah a series of questions but he's also got three different things that says God appointed. Same word, same phrase that we read back in chapter, end of chapter one, it says God appointed a great fish. God here appoints. He appoints a vine, he appoints a worm, and he appoints a scorching east wind. Each one of these things are meant to get through to Jonah, to get through to his heart, to present this thing. And then after he presents it, after he does this, then to ask Jonah a series of questions. And I find it interesting that oftentimes, and here's a little bit of insight to when God is dealing with you and with me, I find this true very often, is that God oftentimes deals with us, I believe, when he asks us questions. And what do I mean by that? When he comes to Adam, when Adam first sinned, he says, Adam, where are you? He comes to Cain, you know, hey, Cain, where is your brother? Isaiah, whom shall I send? Peter, who do you say that I am? Judas, are you betraying the son of man with the kiss? Paul, why, why are you persecuting me? All these are phrases, a question. And God, again, is phrasing this interaction in the form of questions to Jonah. And I find that to be true oftentimes with God in my own life, that still small voice when I'm wrestling with things. Oftentimes God will come in, the, in that voice of a question. Sometimes it's pointing things out, but oftentimes there's a dialogue because a question is an invitation to dialogue, right? And so that's what God's doing. It's an invitation to dialogue. It's an invitation for Jonah to come deeper, to pray, and to really understand the heart of God. And the first question after Jonah gets this nice little vine and it's gone and the whole thing is, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry at me forgiving these people? He'll go on to say, is it right for you to be angry at this plant that is gone? You care more about the plant than the people? Each one of these things, God is revealing his heart and trying to expose Jonah's own heart to himself. He's trying to change Jonah. He's trying to really drill Jonah down further into the bedrock of God's grace. And he's coming after Jonah, listen, like he came after Nineveh. And I think it's actually quite funny. I mean, that's the thing too. That's why I like Jonah chapter. I mean, let's not lose sight of the humor. I mean, it is kind of funny in the bit of Jonah just sitting there. And when he, he first rants and complains, it says Jonah props himself on the hill because he thinks, well, maybe they're going to screw up and God will still judge. And he builds this little booth. So he's kind of like hoping, well, maybe they're going to mess this whole thing up and still get judged. And then God creates this vine and he's like, oh, 
He gets this, he's all happy for a moment. He's like sitting Indian style in his booth and he's still, but he's kind of waiting, hoping that, you know, fireballs are going to be sent from heaven. He's thinking, yes, Solomon Gomorrah, these guys deserve it. But he's, oh, this vine, it's so nice. And, you know, and then the next day there's a little worm, you know, wakes up and like the roots are all chewed and he's like, oh man, leaves start turning brown. And you can tell he's probably worried. And all of a sudden this scorching east wind, a Santa Ana wind, you know, hot, dry, blowing wind blows all the leaves off and he's just ticked again. And you're just, it's kind of funny. I mean, really, he's just, he's this grown man pouting about a vine, pouting about a worm, just, oh, take my life. And I, I know it's serious, don't get me wrong, but there's just some humor in it as well. You, you got to laugh a little bit. God provides a, a, a moment of comfort, but then just as quickly as the comfort is provided, God, he cares more about, listen, God cares more about our character than our comfort. And so he takes this, you know, vine away because he's trying to explain something to get into the heart of Jonah. But the last question really, I think, is one of the, the ultimate questions here that where God was really driving the conversation towards. Because he says this, Jonah, you have pity. The uh, NASB, New American Standard, says, Jonah, you had compassion on the vine. Jonah, you became attached to the vine. You had compassion. You felt pity. You felt moved by a plant. How could you not have pity on people? You pity the plant, but you don't pity people? Your heart got attached to this plant that you didn't provide that sprung up in one day and was gone the next, and you were so distraught over that, but you can't be moved at all by people? Jonah, you've got this inordinate affection towards this and no attachment over here? Jonah, you got your heart attached to the plant. When it died, in a sense, you died. Your heart was so attached to it. When it was affected, it affected you. Jonah, don't you understand? I have compassion. I have compassion on these people. I have great compassion and pity on these people. I have compassion on this great city. I, I find that amazing. Do you know why? Because when we have compassion towards things and towards people, what we are doing, and sometimes we can't, always choose to do so. Sometimes we certainly can, but I find a lot of times I, 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 I'm getting attached to things involuntarily. You know, it's like I, I find myself attached to silly things. As humans, we can do that sometimes to people because we need them. And when you attach yourself, when you have compassion, there's great things that can come, but you're also, you know, you're, you're potentially setting yourself up for suffering. When you have compassion because they can hurt you, because they can leave, there's things that can happen. But God, listen, God, by by a choice, not out of need, but by a choice, he attaches himself to us. He has compassion towards his creation. He's, he's all-sufficient, self-sustaining. He needs nothing. And so the fact that he has compassion, that, that he's attached himself to you, to me, is something that tells us he has done it by choice. He wants to. And that's what I find absolutely incredible. God says over and over, I attach myself to man. My heart is attached to man. I have compassion. I have pity. My heart weeps. It is broken over those who are afar off. For God so loved the world. That's why he gave his only begotten son. Because God has compassion. Jonah, should I not have pity? Should I not have compassion? And he ends in this question and he uses an idiom. He says, there's 120,000 people who do not know their left hand from their right hand, let alone the cattle. Even God has compassion on the cattle. Now, this expression is an idiom, and it means blindness or ignorance. Some think it can mean children, which it certainly can. Some just could think this means just generally to the population who are, who are blind and ignorant. 
who don't fully understand what they're doing, that they're in such a spiritual fog. They've gone so far, they don't realize where they're at and how they've gotten there. Now, listen to me. It doesn't mean they are innocent. It doesn't mean they are not guilty. They were guilty. That's why God was going to judge them. But when God says this, God is also acknowledging that they are so blind and ignorant. They don't even know where they're at or how to get back. That's why I've sent you, Jonah. Do you understand the heart? They're guilty. And that's why God was going to judge. But we see here in this question posed to Jonah, we see the compassion in the heart of God who has attached himself, not just to Jonah and to Israel, but also to the people of Nineveh who are spiritually blind and ignorant. God has compassion. He wants their eyes to be open. He wants them to see. He wants them to know the truth. And what I find about uh, Jonah 4 is so powerful. It kind of dispels, which I always hate, the, the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New. It's like, do, do, you, read, you, know, do you read in jo uh, John chapter 2 when the God of the New Testament, Jesus, so nice and kind, goes into the temple and throws the tables out? Because he sounds a lot like the God of the Old Testament that you talk about. And yet the God of the Old Testament who says to Moses, compassionate, slow to anger, the God of the Old Testament who says, no, those who are blind and ignorant, I have compassion on them. The same compassion that we see in, in God the Son when he enters into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And what does it say? He looks at the crowd. They're cheering. And he's weeping because he knows what they're doing right now is temper. He knows what they're about to do in a week. He knows ultimately these very same people are going to be shouting, crucify him. That They're going to be betraying and mocking they're going to be heaping all kinds of guilt upon themselves. And what is his heart? It's a heart of compassion. There's a phrase that we read over and over in the New Testament. Jesus, it says, was moved with compassion. Deep within him, he was moved. He was attached. It wasn't us, the Trinity versus them, those rebellions, rebellious people. But no, us, and I'm going to leave, and I'm going to go. And out of compassion, because they are guilty. They need forgiveness. There's something that has to be done, but they're spiritually blind. Listen, what did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them. Listen, they needed forgiveness, right? What they were doing was evil and wrong, and it deserved to be judged. But then Jesus also says, they know not what they are doing. They don't know their left hand from the right. They don't fully understand all that they are doing. And when he says that, he's talking about the Romans. He's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about all of those. They don't fully understand, Father, forgive them. What they've done, it deserves judgment. But there also needs to be compassion. And so Jesus says, Father, forgive them. That's what we see here in Jonah chapter 4. That same heart that, yes, Nineveh needed to be judged. <laughs> they needed forgiveness. It couldn't be like, well, they didn't know any better. Left hand, right hand. So it's no. That, Ignorance is never an excuse before God. In fact, another message we'll do in Romans sometimes, ultimately, none of us are without excuse. <laughs> Their ignorance will never be a legitimate excuse before God. But even that ignorance is no excuse. But God has compassion. But I don't want to end there tonight with Jonah's heart. We see a glimpse a bit into God's heart. The third point is my heart, your heart. And I chose to put it that way, my heart. So when you look down at this, this isn't the heart of your neighbor. It's not the heart of your spouse. It's not the heart of your kids that I want you to think about. Because when you read Jonah chapter four, these questions that are being fired off towards Jonah, the very fact that we have a Jonah chapter four isn't just to give us a history lesson. 
It isn't just so we can go, oh, look at Jonah. No, ultimately, like any story, it's so that we can see ourselves and what God is speaking to us. It's never enough to come to the Bible and go, oh, that was great for Peter. Oh, I didn't know that about Paul. I didn't understand that about Mary. Wow, that's fascinating. Okay, check, close the Bible. No, you should always get to the point, God, what about me? What are you speaking to me? And really, the way this thing ends, like I said, kind of the top spinning, you're left with these questions, this cliffhanger, fish, vine, worm, wind, all of it's been to get to Jonah, but really, I believe all of it's also getting to us, getting to you, getting to me, getting to my heart. Because it's really easy for me to look at Jonah and say, man, what an idiot. Are you kidding me? Look at all the blind spots that he has. I I can't believe that. What a fool. And if I have that posture, if I have that attitude, guess what? I'm the fool. Because if I don't think I am capable of being like Jonah, I am just as blind as Jonah. I have to come to the place. You have to come to the place where at times you have to say and realize, "I, I am Jonah. I love God but I have some blind spots. God, search my heart. Search my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me because, listen, if this is the prophet of God, the man of God, and this is where he's at, man, any one of us could be at this place if we're not careful. And so the the, the shots, the questions fired at Jonah really should land with us. God is calling us to allow the Holy Spirit to apply this to our lives. We need to say, God, where do I have blind spots? I mean, we could look at it very literally in the same way that Jonah, is there areas in my life where nationally, I love America, but have I ever taken it too far where I really don't care about the other nations and what happens to the rest of God's creation as long as we're doing great? I mean, have I gotten to that place? Some of you are going, hey, stop that. I mean, is there a place where even in my own things, I, I, I love my heritage, I love my background, but have I ever gotten to a place like Jonah where I love mine so much that I look down and, and I'm finding my identity in that and not in God, where I refuse to listen to what somebody else has to say or feel their pain or their perspective or really care? What's the bottom line for me? What's the bottom line for you? What's the thing that if you have, you have everything. If you don't, you have nothing. What's the thing that if you were honest, if you allow the Spirit to speak to you about that, like Jonah, if this thing was gone, you would cry out, take my life, Lord, for it's not worth living. Is it a relationship? Is it a career? Is it, I don't know, it could be an a lot of number of different things. But if it's not God, because listen, if it's anything other than God, it can ultimately be taken away from you. But if God is the one, the thing, if you have that, you have everything, he'll never be taken from you. And so you'll never be at a place of total despair. Will you be crushed and cast down? Yeah, but you'll not be crushed to the point of despair, Paul would say. We'll go through tribulations, yeah, but you'll always be able to get through because Listen, if you understand the gospel, you understand grace, you understand that you always have God. Is there a plank in your own eye while you're pointing out the specks in everyone else? Because that's kind of what Jonah's doing, right? He's seen all their faults and he can't even see this big plank of racism and pride in his own heart where he's really being mad. He's mad at God for being God. I mean, how blind can you possibly be? Is there areas in my life where, like Jonah, God, I want you to treat me with kindness and compassion, but God, I want you to judge those people. I mean, is there any areas where I, I love the mercy of God? I, I, I need the mercy of God. Uh, they don't need it. It could be those on the right. 
right, those crazies, those on the left. It can be, it can be a political thing. I mean, listen, we are in a time of absolute division. Listen, as the body of Christ, we need to be aware of that. We can have our opinions. We can have our thoughts. We can express those. But God help us if we start demonizing other people because they're not like us. Do you understand? Listen, we, we should contend. We should know what we believe scripturally, biblically, even politically. Like, that's okay. Listen, we're, we have been placed in America. We are allowed. To, we are in a democracy. We're allowed to have these things. Praise God. But the moment we go beyond simply expressing and even advocating, not even say arguing, but then demonizing the other people because they don't hold the same view as us, we have gone too far. We might have made an idol out of our political affiliations. Anyway, I go on and on. I can go. And some of you are like, hey, you're meddling, Pastor. Shut up. You know, <laughs> going a little too far. There's. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's one of most people's favorite stories, the story of the prodigal son. We all resonate because we've all been that prodigal son who squandered and wasted and, and we're running and far off and we've been embraced by a father who loves us and lavishes his kisses upon us and, and brings us back in. But there's a person in that story that always haunts me. And at times I have seen myself in that story. And it's, it's not the younger brother. It's the proud older brother who has stayed home, who's worked hard, who's done all the right things and expects things, but really is far from God and he's judging the younger brother. Uh, Jonah is like the elder brother. Jonah's the elder brother. And God help us if you and I ever become the elder brother. You see, all of this God was revealing, not to embarrass Jonah. God reveals what he desires to heal. That's what this whole thing's about. Jonah chapter four is about God revealing the heart of Jonah so that God can reveal his own heart, but ultimately to reveal our hearts to heal. Amen. That's what God's after. Amen. And Jonah, I believe, was saved. I think in chapter one and two, I think he was truly a child of God, but there was a lot of work that needed to be done. And just like in our lives, even those who know God, listen, this side of heaven, there's always going to be work that needs to be done. There's always going to be a need to drill us down further and further into the bedrock of God's grace where we realize, man, I am a sinner saved by grace. <laughs> I am a sinner saved by grace. And when I know that, I am free. Not, you know, it frees me from judging others because I realize, man, I deserve judgment. And I can feel like God feels like, yes, that there is judgment that's going to come and my heart breaks because people don't know the left hand from the right. And so I'm going to pray for God's mercy. I'm going to pray in compassion. I want to say, God, break my heart with the things that break yours. I want to attach myself to people that you are attached to, people that may not look like me, think like me, act like me, but Lord, I know you're attached to them, so I want to be attached to them. I want to have the same heart that you have for them. That's what Jonah 4 is all about. And in our own hearts and lives, when God brings these, these things out, and he will, when God reveals these things, know this, he, he ultimately reveals because he wants to heal. Don't be willfully blind. Don't turn away. Don't close your ears to when God asks you questions. Listen to what he's saying. Dialogue with him. Now, just before we go into communion, as we wrap up this story, I, I said it, it ends on a cliffhanger. Kind of ends like with the top spinning. God just simply asks this question, and that's it. You're like, that's it? Where, where's chapter five? What happens to Jonah? And we wondered, is this it? Did Jonah just... Stay on that hill feeling sorry for himself and the Santa Ana wind bit, beat him down and he dried up and his bones went away. I don't know. Okay, it's a little morbid, but. No, I think eventually Jonah changed. 
I think eventually what God was doing here in chapter four, and really all along, got to the place where Jonah realized, oh my goodness, I've been so blind, and God, you are so good. Why am I convinced that Jonah had a change of heart? Because we have the story of Jonah. Who else would tell us that Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights except for Jonah? Who else would tell us the details of chapter four except for Jonah? Because if Jonah stayed in that place of bitterness and anger, he's not going to tell anybody about that. He's mad at God. He's walked away. Nobody's ever going to hear that story. The only reason we know what happened is because eventually Jonah had a change of heart. Eventually, Jonah came to the place where he realized how proud and arrogant he really was and how good God was, and he had a change of heart. And so we have the story of Jonah. And that gives me hope. All that God did revealed Jonah's heart. Ultimately, I believe there was a healing in the heart of Jonah, just like there can always be for those who admit it, a healing in our heart. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.